Well, good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Wednesday, December 6th. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg's borough is trading a construction company, Rock, for the rights to move a road at a local quarry. The deal could give the borough better access to the rock it owns and could bring costs down for the new hospital project. Petersburg Medical Center CEO Phil Hofstetter, who is overseeing the project, says the move would help the hospital save on construction costs. It would save some costs from our side. I think it would lower the amount, uh, the total cost for the project. That's my understanding. The Borough Assembly unanimously approved the trade with Rock and Road Construction at its regular meeting on Monday. The quarry is located by the airport. Its ownership is divided between the Borough, State of Alaska, the Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority, and Reed Brothers Construction Company. For close to a decade, the borough hasn't been able to access more rock in its section of the quarry. That's because they've depleted all of the most easily accessible rock and have almost dug the quarry walls into the nearby nearby muskeg. The borough wants to access more rock further into the quarry floor, but in order to reach it, they have to lower an access road leading into that part of the quarry. And that's an expensive modification, costing about $100,000, which would have come out of the borough's general fund. So, for years, the borough has had to buy rock from other parties, instead of using its own supply. Rock and Road Construction Incorporated requested that the borough allow them to move the road in exchange for 600,000 cubic yards of rock they'll have to remove from the site. Then that rock could be used at a project site Rock and Road is currently working on, the town's new hospital. There, the rock would be repurposed as building material. Amber Burrell with Rock and Road says having those materials on hand could save them up to $300,000 in construction costs. The company is subcontracted by Dawson Construction to help build the new hospital. By using Burrell stone, Rock and Road doesn't have to dig into their own material. They would also save on transportation costs, with the airport quarry being closer to the site of the hospital project than where they usually source the material. Public Works Director Chris Cotta says it's a trade worth making. He wrote that the expansion has been a long time in coming, and this is money the general fund would not have to spend in order to develop the borough's quarry. Assemblymember Jay Stanton-Gregor says it's a quid pro quo for local government and private enterprise. Well, I think this could really turn into a win-win for both the borough and Rock and Road on this. Uh, I'd like opportunities we can see private business and local government work together, and this seems like one of those good opportunities. The borough is set to enter into negotiations with Rock and Road on the quarry development project. Petersburg Medical Center will also meet with Dawson Construction, its main contractor, to adjust construction costs on the new hospital. A team of researchers have been given almost $2 million to see if seaweed in southeast Alaska is absorbing rare earth elements. The team, led by the University of Alaska Fairbanks, is specifically looking at seaweed growing in the water near Boken Mountain on Prince of Wales Island. Boken Mountain is known as a rich deposit of the coveted elements. Jack Darrell reports from Ketchikan. Rare earth elements, or REEs, are a class of metals. They're critical in satellites, magnets, cell phones, and the kind of batteries used in green energies like solar. Currently, the market's dominated by China. This University of Alaska Fairbanks-led project is a response to the Department of Energy's call for alternative domestic sources of the metals. Cherie Umanzor is the lead researcher on the project. She's a professor at UAF in Juneau, specializing in seaweed farming. She says seaweeds are like sponges. 
which means they can absorb rare earth metals just like nutrients. The question for researchers is how much? Being able to quantify how much they are able to accumulate and specifically what types of elements they are uptaking and where in the tissue are they housing it. Umanzor says for every ton of REEs mined in the traditional way, hundreds of tons of toxic chemicals are released into the environment. This project hopes to change that. But this is what we are aligning to as humanity is green, green energies, and the green energies are highly dependent on rare earth elements to a great extent. So to make them green, we actually have to make mining green, and that's really what excites me. This spring, the team will be testing the seaweed samples to see if they are absorbing metals washed into the water. The thought is that they're washing off the rocks around Boken Mountain into the stream systems, and then into the ocean, and then into seaweed. But even then, would there be enough to make a cell phone or a battery? Right now, no. There, there is no way. Umanzor says the problem is scale. She says if the concentration is what they think it is, a metric ton of seaweed would produce about a gram of REEs. That's about the weight of a paperclip. And that's only in the places in the ocean where there are REEs in the first place. This project isn't focused on the extraction, though. The goal is to understand the geochemistry of REEs in a place like Boken Mountain and the role seaweed could play. The project itself is very exploratory and, and a moonshot on its own. But if it works, it can really be a game changer, not only for, for Alaska, but for the United States as a whole. For Umanzor, seaweed holds many secrets. And we are only beginning to tap into its potential. They are old creatures, and they are so versatile. You know, you find them in freshwater, salt water, in the tropics, in the Arctic. So I, I just wonder how is it that they can adapt to such extreme conditions? Imagine, for example, seaweed in the intertidal. How come we go at low tide and we step on them, and then when the tide comes up? They go back to life kind of thing. Southeast Alaska is quickly becoming a hub for seaweed farming, Umanzor says. And now, it's just a matter of scaling up. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. A new backlog in the state's food stamp program has left some Alaskans waiting months for their benefits. More than 12,000 Alaskans have pending applications for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, better known as SNAP. Some date back as far as July. That's according to Deb Etheridge, the state's director of public assistance. She says there are a number of reasons for the backlog, from office closures for poor weather to short staffing and computer system upgrades. But she says the biggest holdup is a federal requirement reinstated in October after the end of the federal health emergency. I would say the single most impactful factor is the requirement from Food Nutrition Services for the state of Alaska to reinstate mandatory interviews for every application or recertification of SNAP that was processed. The issue affects more than 10% of the state's roughly 92,000 SNAP recipients. The Anchorage Daily News reported in October that the new backlog is partially a result of the state's effort to catch up from an earlier slowdown that brought wait times to an unprecedented 11 months. Before the interview requirement was reinstated, Etheridge says each application took about an hour to process. She says the interviews nearly double the workload. So where we could have um, processed over 100 cases a day, we were dropping to uh, 70 and sometimes less than 70 a day. She says her department has paused interviews for now and is working with federal officials on other ways to streamline the process. The pause means the agency could fall out of compliance with federal regulations, 
The effort says her agency meets with federal officials weekly and plans to work closely with the Food and Nutrition Service on a fix. Etheridge says the state is also working on an outside contractor on improving its workflow. She says the Department of Public Assistance has made more workers eligible for overtime and plans to offload some Medicaid processing onto contractors who can't legally handle SNAP applications. I know this is not good news and it's an unfortunate situation, but our team is really doing the best we can to innovate and find solutions. And we just um, really appreciate them so much. Everyone's effort has just been incredible. Etheridge says roughly 95% of the applicants stuck in the backlog applied for at least one other assistance program, like adult public assistance or heating assistance, in addition to SNAP. She says her division has nearly 50 openings for eligibility technicians who process applications for SNAP and other state assistance programs. Amid an alarming decline in western Alaska chum salmon, scientists have pointed to warming ocean temperatures as a prime culprit. A newly published study sheds further light on the role climate change may play in the salmon crisis. Evan Erickson has more from Bethel. For newly hatched western Alaska chum salmon, there is no time to waste when it comes to making their way to the open ocean. The tiny fry begin their journey just days or weeks after being born. When they finally reach the Bering Sea, sometime from mid-June to mid-July, their first priority becomes consuming marine prey and building the energy reserves that will carry them through their first winter. Throughout their years in the ocean, western Alaska chum travel extensively between the Bering Sea and Gulf of Alaska. Unfortunately, simultaneous warming trends in the Bering Sea and the Gulf appear to have come as a double whammy for western Alaska's juvenile chum salmon. A new study by scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Alaska Department of Fish and Game shows a possible link between a period of exceptionally warm ocean temperatures and chum crashes seen across western Alaska. Loss of sea ice is having an impact on Bering Sea ecosystems. And so with warming, we're seeing a change in the food web. That's Ed Farley, lead author of the study and a program manager with NOAA Fisheries Ock Bay Laboratories in Juneau. That food web is less energetic. It's a poorer quality prey, and it's impacting juvenile salmon, especially juvenile chum salmon in the northern Bering Sea. It's impacting their their fitness prior to winter. By poorer quality prey, Farley means jellyfish, also known as cnidaria. They have been shown to proliferate when ocean temperatures warm. There are more cnidaria in the ecosystem of the northern Bering Sea during warm years, but there was uh, significantly more during this most recent anomalously warm period. From 2017 to 2019, Bering Sea ice receded to record low levels thanks to persistent warm southerly winds. In addition to bringing lower quality prey, the study finds that a six-year period of warmer ocean temperatures in the Bering Sea that began in 2014 may have also increased the metabolic rates of chum, increasing their need to feed. While the chum grew in size, they remained poorly equipped for survival. Even though they were large and they were relatively abundant, they had very little fat. Farley says relative abundance of other juvenile salmon species in the Bering Sea, like Chinook or pink salmon, usually correlates to how many will eventually swim back upstream. But that wasn't the case with the lean chum observed in the study during the six-year warm period. Instead, record-low chum salmon returns have hit Alaska Native communities hard in recent years, especially those along the Yukon River. While the new study looks at the fitness of juvenile chum during their first summer in the Bering Sea, Farley and his colleagues have also looked into the fitness of juvenile chum wintering in the Gulf of Alaska. Farley says that waters in the Gulf were unusually cool in 2022. Well, what we 
are seeing uh, real differences in their energetic status and, and some of the other metrics that we're starting to look at now. While cooler waters in the Gulf of Alaska may bode well for western Alaska chum salmon returns in the short term, Farley says long-term projections regarding ocean temperatures are less than rosy. By 2040, you know, at least the climate models suggest that the northern Bering Sea will not have sea ice in the in the winter. And so I think that what we have just witnessed is some of what may be occurring in the future. Farley says it's hard to predict how ocean temperatures may change in the coming years. It could be that it warms up in the in the in the Bering Sea, but the Gulf of Alaska stays okay, but it's hard to say. <laughs> I think what this study does is it, 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 it gives context to the impact of climate change and warming in these northern Arctic and sub-Arctic ecosystems and the relative impact that that's going to have. And so it, it can be huge. Farley says major recent advances in ocean modeling may provide a clearer look at chum migration patterns in the future, whatever way the temps trend. In Bethel, I'm Evan Erickson. A Saxman man was reported missing Monday at roughly 11 a.m., and Alaska state troopers are investigating. Troopers say that Thomas Nelson was last seen on October 20th of this year at the Three Bears convenience store in Saxman. Troopers reported Nelson as 61 years old and tall with balding gray hair. He was living out of a large tour bus parked nearby. Honey Lewis is the manager of Three Bears Fuel and Convenience. She's the one who told troopers when Nelson went missing. Lewis told KRBD that she worked with Nelson's family. She says she went through the store's security camera footage, going back weeks for evidence of the missing man. The last time he appears in footage is October 20th. Lewis remembers Nelson coming into the store and says they had a normal interaction. She says the only thing she noted was that he didn't seem properly dressed for the weather. She says the video shows Nelson returning to his bus, and then at some point, Lewis says, quote, he just vanished. If anyone has information on the whereabouts of Thomas Nelson, they are asked to contact the Alaska State Troopers in Ketchikan at 907-225-5118. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.